Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying, that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. I could start a fight, I could start an argument at any Christmas gathering tomorrow. Any of your dinners, I could come in there, I could sit down, and I could start an argument, a political argument, if I uttered just four words. Keep Christ in Christmas. If I were to say those four words, even among Christians, you would all know that there's political undertones to those four words, and I could start an argument. They are polarizing. They divide people, even Christians. Keep Christ in Christmas. And, you know, you know why? Because on one side, those who are kind of for those four words, keep Christ in Christmas, those are the people who believe that our country has become more and more secular, that there is a war on Christmas in our country, that there is a, an effort to take Christ out of the public sphere, that you have winter break instead of Christmas break, that we say happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. And it bothers people and it seems politically correct and it's irritating and it's annoying. And you perceive there to be a war on Christmas in order to eradicate Christianity from our nation. You, you may believe that it's just as disrespectful to say happy holidays as it is to kneel when the national anthem is played. It's, it's that tied together for you, perhaps, that Christmas is part of our nation. And to not say Merry Christmas is an affront to you. So when you go into a store and you pay for your goods and the clerk, this 19-year-old pimple-faced clerk, says happy holidays to you, you bark back at them, Merry Christmas, and you, know, and you feel good about that. Uh, not all of you do that. Some of you are just grieved because of what you see, and it's understandable in some ways. Others of you are not bothered by it as much because 
you think, well, not all people are Christians in our country, so why would it bother us that non-Christians don't act like Christians? Or you may even be offended for Christians who are in different countries around the world, like China and North Korea. In North Korea, they banned singing on Christmas this year. And so you look at that and you say, well, that's real persecution. And so You know, the argument goes back and forth, and the point isn't to get into those issues because there's merit on both sides of the argument. I won't even tell you where I stand because I'm sure those of you who know me know exactly where I stand on this particular issue. You know that I stand on the side of logic and godliness. You know that I am even in my views and fair in my views, and of course, I have the right view when it comes to this particular subject, just like everything, just like you have the right view, even if you totally disagree with me. It's ironic that we can all have the exact right view and we think we can change each other's minds when we can't on those issues. So I'm not even going to get into that. That's not the point of the message. For some of you, even making light of it is upsetting. And me not taking a strong stance is upsetting. But I'm about to, so be patient, but not perhaps on the issue you're thinking about. I always want more of Jesus, not less of Jesus. But listen, instead of those four words, keep Christ in Christmas, I've named this short message this. Don't keep Christ in Christmas. Don't keep Christ in Christmas. Now, for some of you, you're already rolling your eyes because you know where I'm going with this. You know what I'm going to say is that we shouldn't just keep Christ in Christmas in December, but we should keep him all through the year. It's so obvious, and you're rolling your eyes in your heart because you know where it's going. But I want to ask you a question. Do you keep Christ all through the year? 365 days of the year. Are you keeping Christ in Christmas? But are you keeping him through the year? Because like most of the time, when the church embroils itself in the fleeting politics of the day, the vision of keep Christ in Christmas is way too small. Way too small. It's an embarrassment, quite frankly. Because Jesus is way too big to be kept in Christmas. It's way too big of an event. God becoming man. God becoming one of us. God coming from all eternity, from who knows where, what time and place, to a very specific time and place here on earth. Enduring suffering from the moment he was conceived to the moment of his death. Jesus is way too big to be kept in Christmas. Don't keep Christ in Christmas. Keep Christ in everything. Nothing but Jesus. 365 days of the year. Now, if you really play this out, what you'll realize is that for even those of us who are very passionate about keeping Christ in Christmas or whatever it may be, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't keep Christ in anything. We don't. 
even the most spiritual, spiritual person sitting here tonight, we don't truly keep Christ in anything, in any meaningful way. Makes me think of, of the uh, movie Finding Nemo. Remember that movie? Remember Dory the fish? And Dory had this, this short-term memory problem where she would forget things five seconds after she was told something. Remember Dory? We are a lot like Dory when it comes to keeping Christ in anything. We can sing in Christ alone. We can sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus at church. We can hear a nothing but Jesus sermon. We know it's true. We know it's the only way. We know it's the only way that works. We know it's the only thing that makes sense in this world. And we can walk right out those doors and go to lunch and we can forget Jesus that quickly. It's ironic to me that those Christians, those of us Christians, are preaching things like keep Christ in Christmas when we ourselves don't keep Christ even in Christmas. What about you? Do you relegate Christ to Christmas and Easter? Or maybe you're in church all the time, but you still aren't keeping Jesus in anything of meaning. Because keep Christ in Christmas should really be more like this. Nothing but Jesus. 365 days a year. We're going to start a fire here? Okay, I didn't see that. Ooh, that would have been interesting. Thank you very much. So, I read earlier the account of the shepherds. And when I was younger, I've told you this before, those of you who attend here, I used to work for my grandfather. My grandfather had a construction company. And um, so I was basically his child slave labor um, when I was younger. And uh, I think that I started when I was about four years old. My mom disputes that account. My dad says that it was actually earlier, and he's glad that it was earlier. Um, so I worked for my grandfather, and uh, so when I got to be older, there's no disputing that when I was a teenager, I worked for him about 10 hours a day from the day after summer break started until Labor Day. And so worked out with him, and that's where I learned the value of hard work. And so during that time, during my stints under my grandfather's care, uh, I was exposed to some incredible godly men. Um, one guy, his name was Paul. And Paul's claim to fame was he taught us cousins, because some of my other cousins worked there as well, how to blow smoke rings, perfect smoke rings, with cigarettes. So this was a very godly influence in my life. Another incredibly godly man, his name was Gary, and he exposed me to eight-hour-a-day Howard Stern talk radio. There was another one, finally, that the only time we had any comfort, the only time we had any enjoyment during our day was when we got to walk to the 7-Eleven and have lunch. That was the best part of our day. Those happy days ended when this guy stole from 7-Eleven and we were all banned from ever going there again. 
So every time I go to the 7-Eleven on Elkton Road, I still get nervous I'm going to get thrown out of there. And so these guys, these godly mentors in my life, they were guys who told tall tales. They were dirty. They were unclean. One guy, he never took a bath. And so you never wanted to get stuck with him in an enclosed space, like a bathroom or something like that. We worked on these apartments. And so the worst assignment you could get would be working with him in one of the bathrooms, especially if he's working on the ceiling and you're standing underneath of him. I mean, it was painful. I mean, this guy literally didn't take a bath and he literally didn't speak pretty much ever. And when he did, it was kind of scary to hear what came out of his mouth. And so these guys that I worked with were unclean. They lied a lot. They were dirty. Their mouths were dirty. Their hearts were dirty. They were unclean people. They were literally kicked out of society when they were kicked out of 7-Eleven. They couldn't even do that right. These guys were a lot like the shepherds that we read about earlier. Shepherds were similar to a construction crew like this one. They were unclean. Their testimony was not allowed in court because they were known to be liars. They had open wounds where they would be bloody and they were just guys who couldn't go to worship because they were unclean. And yet the angels come to them. So if you're sitting here tonight listening to me go on about being a nothing but Jesus person, not just in December, but all through the year, and you're thinking, I'm so unworthy. I'm so unclean. It's good news for you. It's good news for me that he came to these shepherds, that he came to this kind of construction crew. I mean, it's amazing who he came to because, friends, we are all like those shepherds. We are all like that construction crew. Maybe not externally. Maybe we don't do the exact same things, but if everything we were to do and everything we've thought and everything we've done, all of our motives, all of the lies that we've told during our entire life were displayed, we would also be outcasts. And yet, he came for you. He came for me. Nothing but Jesus, 365 days a year, Let's not keep Christ in Christmas. Let's let him out of the manger. Let's follow him out of the manger. Let's follow him into the desert when he's tempted by Satan. And when he speaks back scripture because he's hidden scripture in his heart that he may not sin against God. Let's follow him when he encounters the woman caught in adultery where he offers grace and mercy and forgiveness and teaching. Parents, let's follow him when he tells the story of the prodigal son and the father who waits for his son to return and runs to him and jumps on him and kisses him and gives him a seat of honor. Let's follow Jesus as he dines with tax collectors and prostitutes and unlovely people like you and like me. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Let's follow him to the cross, dying to ourselves, 
I need that desperately to die to myself. I'm a mess. Those of you who know me know that's true. Let's be raised with him on the third day. Let's not keep Christ in Christmas at all. Because here's the reality. We lose Jesus. We lose Jesus. Every one of us does. I do. You do. The most spiritual person sitting here does. Elders do. Deacons do. Those who work in mercy ministries do. We all lose Jesus. We lose this precious, precious gift that is given to us, that is the way, the truth, and the life, that is the answer for everything we face. We lose Jesus. When my daughter Katie was a little girl, she had a doll named Charlotte. She took Charlotte everywhere. She was a cloth doll and kind of creepy looking, if I'm being honest. Sorry, Katie. She actually drew a smile on Charlotte's cloth face. Well, Katie lost Charlotte. We were talking about this this morning. We think she was four or five years old tops. And for those of you who have lost a special toy, a blanket, or a stuffed animal, or whatever, you know what happens. You turn the house upside down. You go everywhere you can. You backtrack your steps to try to find the special toy. We searched high and low. We couldn't find her. We went to the store where she was bought. We couldn't find the same model. We tried, to, we tried to buy a new one that was exact because we thought we could trick her with a brand new one. We called the company that made the doll. No luck. Sure enough, they had discontinued this particular doll. And so we found on the internet something pretty close. It was the same exact doll, except she had a plastic hard face instead of a cloth face. So we thought, we can trick Katie. Let's give her this doll and pass it off as if it's Charlotte for Christmas. I know that's horrible. Is that lying? It's probably lying. I'm sorry. I just admitted it to a sin. It won't be the last time. We gave it to her, and right when she opened it, we knew that she knew this wasn't Charlotte. She looked at the doll, she saw it, she looked at the face, she did her Katie face at it, she quickly figured out this was not Charlotte at all. The plastic face was a dead giveaway, but something tells me she would have known even if it weren't for the plastic face because it was a cheap replacement. It was a cheap imitation. It wasn't the real thing. A few months later, Katie comes into our bedroom and she had found Charlotte. Where in the world did she find her? We torn the house apart many times over. Charlotte was stuffed this whole time in Katie's pillowcase. (laughs) Melanie doesn't like it when I tell this story, my wife, because, you know, the pillowcase hadn't been washed for a pretty long time. She reminded me last night, it wasn't months, it was weeks. (laughs) The fact is that Charlotte had been close to her the entire time, in the most intimate of ways, right there while she's sleeping. The baby was there. 
all along, when she was lost, she was so close. A cheap replacement had been put in her place and it didn't do. The whole time, she was right next to her. Jesus, for all of us to some extent, has been lost. The idea of keeping Christ in Christmas is a great one when it's not political. That stuff's bankrupt. That doesn't work. It's wonderful when it's brought to a deeply personal, quiet, pondering like Mary in her heart level. And especially when we don't keep Christ in Christmas, but we follow him 365 days a year. Because Jesus has been lost. And what do we do? We search high and low for a replacement. We find cheap replacements, cheap idols. Our, our hearts are idol-making factories. We begin to feel unworthy so far from Jesus. And the reality is, is that he is right there. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how unclean you are. I don't care if you are that construction worker that I spoke about earlier. I don't care what, you, what you've done or who you are. Jesus is so close. You're not here by a chance or a mistake. You're here because God brought you here. And Jesus said, where two or more are gathered, there I am. So Jesus is here. Matthew said this. The angel said, you will call his name Emmanuel, God with us, right here with us. He's closer than you can ever imagine. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. John said, we've seen him. We've beheld his glory. God with us. 